Welcome back to the Draft Nut Podcast. It's Jared Feinberg and Devin Jackson of the Blue Chip Scouting, and we are your hosts for today's episode. Devin, good morning. I hope you're doing well. Congrats on your Saints getting the dub yesterday with Taysom freaking Hill. And um, <clears throat> I'll go ahead and just own up for saying the Lions were going to beat the Panthers this, um, this past weekend. Um, did not expect them to. Did not expect the Lions to get shut out like that. Didn't didn't expect the Panthers Panthers to shut out any team this season, you know. But hey, as a Panthers fan, I'm happy, you know. Twenty to nothing win, you know. Defense played well for the first time and since post Luke Keekley, you know. So I'm I'm happy for them. Um, maybe they can go on a run here. Who knows? Who knows? Um, they got Minnesota this upcoming weekend, so yeah, I'm happy. I'm a little bit happy. I I still regret picking the Lions this weekend. So, Devin, how you doing this morning, my man? Pretty good, man. Um, you know, it's been uh, another great weekend of college football, NFL football. Uh, both our teams won. Yes, can't, sir. can't say that's happened in, in quite some time. Uh, and we got a special guest today, man. Um, so I'm very excited for you guys to hear who we have in store. Guys, I'm very excited for this special guest. For this special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, Joining us is senior NFL draft analyst of the Draft Network and the host of the Read Option podcast, and he is one of the best at what he does. It's Jordan Reed. Jordan, welcome to the pod, and thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Jared and Devin. It's a pleasure being here. So, Jordan, we got we got some questions for you. Um, you know, we've been throughout the season, we've been keeping an eye on. Um, some prospects, some of the usual prospects we were evaluating over the summer. Um, and also we have some prospects that have increased their draft stocks, some players that really have come out of nowhere. So Jordan, who are some of the most, some of the most impressive prospects you've seen so far this season and who has made the most money in terms of increased draft stock? Well, I think the first one is obvious. I think it's Zach Wilson, the quarterback from BYU, a player that he probably had a lot of fifth or sixth round grades coming into the year just because he wasn't really on the 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 grid for a lot of people just because he was coming off an of off season where he had shoulder surgery and then he also had thumb surgery as well so you weren't really expecting a lot coming from him and then BYU we know that they've had a lot of notable quarterbacks in the past but Zach Wilson all of you guys have seen him play before he's he's not the most physically gifted guy as far as just looking at him and I always say when I wrote up in my scout report a little funny story I like to say is that if you were a team captain and you're playing a pickup basketball game, Zach Wilson is probably going to be the one of the last guys that you select that's in the lineup just because of how he's look, just because of how he looks. But the thing about him is that he has a lot of translatable traits that you love to see at the position. You see the funky arm angles. You see the ball just come off of his hands with a lot of velocity. Very smart individual as well. And he has a lot of translatable traits that I like to say. Um, he's not a super a nimble guy as far as an athlete, but he has enough to get out of escape pressure and, you know, get himself out of harm's way. So I'm not really worried about him as far as being able to escape outside and make plays outside of the pocket in the NFL. I think he's totally, ca totally capable of doing that. If I had to compare him to a guy, um, I think Derek Carr, I think that's a very favorable comparison for him. Now, I think he's more aggressive than what Carr has shown in the past, but as you guys saw, I believe it was in the Sunday night game against the Chiefs. He's really starting to progress really nicely. So I really like that comparison as far as just from just a size standpoint, as far as what he looks like, and then just the type of arm strength and the arm talent that he does have right now. But Zach Wilson is the obvious candidate for the player that pretty much is 
helped his stock the most. And it's kind of like a Joe Burrow factor as well. And what I mean by that is he kind of came out of nowhere uh, with Burrow, him coming from Ohio State and not really looking like a top flight type of quarterback um, during the backstretch of the 2019 or 2018 season, I believe it was before he had the big year last year. So I think Zach Wilson is definitely in a similar mold as what Burrow was as far as coming out of nowhere to possibly being a top 10 selection. Yeah, and, you know, I love Zach Wilson. Great player, you know, and as a Panthers fan, like, you see Zach Wilson, and you're like, holy cow, you get this guy with Joe Brady. If Joe Brady is still in Carolina, ooh, with those weapons, with DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey, possibly Curtis Samuel if he's back next year, that that's lethal. I mean, if Zach Wilson can really progress – and can start week one next year, which I don't know if he will, because I think they're stuck with Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, but, you know, Zach Wilson's just, he's such a fun player. And I, I really want this dude in the college football playoff. I just wanted to see him against a good, either group of five team or a really solid power five team. Like, you know, BYU and Wilson in general, he needs that game against like a big name school. For for people all over the country and even NFL teams to be like, okay, this guy's really, really legit now. I don't know. There's probably some teams out there that are like still a little iffy about Wilson, but I, I like Wilson as a whole. You like Wilson. Devin likes Wilson. We all like we all like Wilson. So um, for me, when it comes to prospects that I'm most impressed with, I think um, Georgia Edge. Uh, Azizi um, Ojolari, I think that's how you say his name, um, has had a great season and has made an excellent case for the Edge One conversation. Um, I think he's really um, increased his stock in terms of um, becoming a potential first-round pick. I think he will end up being a first-round pick. I think he has what you want in a 3-4 edge rusher, athletic ability. Pretty fluid in coverage from what I've seen. He's got um, great speed and bend off the edge, and he sets the edge well and runs support. Um, another player I'm really impressed with is Kadarius Tony. He's arguably one of the best route runners in the country and also one of the best yak players, uh, yards after catch players. And then another guy that comes to mind is Jay-Z Horn, who you had a great interview with the other day, um, and I read your article and your interview. That was fantastic. Learned a lot of stuff from both you and Horn. Um that's a player that I think will end up being my number one corner in this draft because I am such a fan of man-to-man press coverage corners with good ball skills. Those are my type of guys, and I'm I'm really starting to fall in love with Horn State. So, Devin, do you have any questions for Jordan at this moment? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, now, Jordan, I don't know if you got a chance to watch Tulsa linebacker Zayvon Collins, but he has really uh, played well over the last couple of weeks in the, the last two games that Tulsa uh, has played in. Uh, what do you what do you see from Zayvon Collins, and do you think he could be uh, a top three linebacker, maybe a, a potential first rounder come in come April? I'm really glad you mentioned him, Devin, just because. He hasn't got the notoriety that he deserves in this class, and I think he's going to be a huge beneficiary of really it being a weak linebacker class, in my opinion. There's really no consensus guy at the top right now, in my opinion, and Dylan Moses was expected to be that guy coming into the year, but he just hasn't looked like the same player since the ACL tear, and then him, him transitioning to Mike Linebacker, his mind is just swimming a little bit right now. He doesn't look like 
the player that we saw prior to his injury. But Zayvon Collins, he's the type of linebacker that is a three-down linebacker. And the great thing about him is that the versatility that he provides, he's he's not only a person that can create pressure off of the edge, but he's a sack getter as well, which I think is huge for his draft stock. And you talk about these guys in the past that have been in a similar mold. It's, it's Kyle Van Noy, I think, is a, a player that comes to mind. Zach Bond is another player that comes to mind as well. And even Anthony Barr, in a sense, I think he compares favorably to a whole bunch of those guys. So um, Tulsa has some really good prospects. And funny story about Zayvon is that I was watching them in the season opener against Oklahoma State, and I was watching some guys in their secondary. I was tweeting about it. And then Collins comes out of nowhere, and he's just all over the field. And I wrote his name down at the time. I didn't know a whole bunch about him coming into the year. But as you see, he's just continuously put good tape out there and it's continue on throughout the year. Now, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being a top 60 pick. And if you saw him last week, I think he had a pick six. I don't remember where they were playing, but, I mean, he was rolling. He looked like a 4-5 guy. And if he's able to run a 4-5 at 260 pounds, 6'4", 260 pounds, now you're talking about guy, a guy that could go in the first round. Just, just seeing Savion Collins move at 260, that that's just mind-blowing. And to be moving like he did on that pick six, it's just wild. So I am i haven't really gotten a chance to dive into Collins' tape yet, but, boy, like, the, the stuff I've seen so far, like, just from clips and whatnot, like, he looks very intriguing. I'm really excited to dive into his tape. Um, I think one thing we need to bring up is the potential QB1 debate. I, I know, like... People are like, oh, there's not really a debate. It's Trevor Lawrence all the way. He's the best quarterback in the draft. If, if, if you guys have seen Justin Fields play the last three games or the first three games up until the Indiana game, I think people would say like, oh, Fields has got a good, uh, a good shot at being QB1 in this draft class, maybe. So Jordan, do you think there is a potential debate for QB1 between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields? in this draft class, or do you think without a doubt that Trevor Lawrence is the QB one of this draft class? Yeah. So coming in the year is Trevor was just on another stratosphere, man. I mean, you guys have seen it. His tape is just unbelievable. He's probably, I hate using the term generational, but um, he's one of those type guys that you can put in that type of category. It just has everything that you want at the position, but I think it's his smarts that really just outweigh everything. And just his processing ability. Uh, The thing that, uh, the thing about Trevor that's been really interesting is that he didn't play well during the backstretch of last year against LSU and then Ohio State. Um, he had to use more of his legs to really help out his game for the most part, especially against Ohio State. As you guys saw, then LSU, he just struggled with his accuracy, some overstriding and some things that he struggled with uh, with this lower half. And that really was the first time in his career that he experienced some adversity. But coming into this year, I mean, he's been absolutely unbelievable uh, prior to him contracting COVID. And um, I think he's yeah, I think he's still in another galaxy uh, compared to these other guys, in my opinion. And Fields was right on his heels. But as you guys saw last week against Indiana, that probably was one of his worst games of his career. And that was the first time we really saw him face some type of adversity since the Clemson game uh, in the semifinals of the national of the college football playoffs. So I still have a big distance between Lawrence and Fields for me. But Fields definitely was on his heels. And that game didn't really move the needle much for me, but it kind of showed some chinks in his armor. Uh, for fields but with Lawrence we really haven't seen a lot of chinks in his armor since the LSU game and then the Ohio State game last year so um, after that I think it really gets interesting that three to six range I think that's where a lot of people will have difference of opinions you talk about Kyle Trask Zach Wilson Trey Lance uh, then even a Mac Jones who's starting to enter the conversation a little bit as well so 
Um, I think that three to six range is probably a little bit more interesting than the QB one debate. It's still going to be Trevor Lawrence for me. Yeah. Um, Trevor Lawrence still QB one in this draft class for me. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. Now, look, I love fields. I love him. I love him to death. He's one of my favorite players in this draft class. Um, he reminds me of a more sound Cam Newton. Um, coming out, you know, like Cam Newton, he was really, really raw coming out of Auburn. But when you look at Fields, his game is so much similar to what Cam Newton is right now. Like, great player. I think Fields is going to be a great player at the next level. I have no doubt. I have no doubts about that. I don't think he's going to be the next Ohio State buzz at quarterback. I think that's that narrative is ridiculous. But I think Lawrence has a better mental makeup, better tools and traits, a better arm, damn near flawless mechanics and footwork in the pocket. Now, running ability, you can give to Fields all day long. Like, that, I won't argue with that at all. But when we're talking about who's going to be the QB1 of this draft class, it's Lawrence, no doubt about it. I, I have no doubts about that. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think that you know, Trevor Lawrence has done a really nice job, you know, not only being efficient, but keeping uh, care of the ball. I think that was something that, you know, especially last season, a lot of people uh, had issues with that he would take chances and, and, you know, turn the ball over. But this season, he's been extremely efficient. And then when you look at Justin Fields, uh, like Jordan said, you know, one game should not change your entire opinion on the prospect. You know, I think that a lot of people, especially with how the quarterback class has gone this year. A lot of people are knee-jerk reacting, you know, every time that, you know, top prospect doesn't play well, you know, you start to question their, their draft stock and, and whether or not they are who people say they are. And that was the case for Justin Fields on Saturday. I saw a lot of people saying that, you know, they'd rather take Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, all these other quarterbacks over Justin Fields just based off of one game. And, you know, uh, as you know, of course, you know, Jerry and, and Jordan, you know, we can't do that as draft analysts, uh, you know, base it off one game. You know, you got to have the whole body of work. So for me, you know, still Trevor and Justin as one and two. Uh, but I think Justin Fields has done a really nice job trying to uh, cut down the the lead between the two uh, this season. But, uh, you know, performances like Saturday won't help, but I, I don't think it's going to uh, change the opinion of him too much. Uh, but that, that kind of goes into my next question, Jordan. Uh, you said you mentioned the three to six range of quarterbacks. Um, what do you think about a guy like Desmond Ritter, someone that has a strong arm that, um, you know, looks like a NFL prospect, but doesn't necessarily uh, play with the consistency? He's obviously played more consistent this year. But what have you seen from this year that could maybe make him a top five or six quarterback this season? Yeah, Ritter's really interesting just because we see that mid-round guy that everybody falls in love with every year, and I think he's probably going to be one of those guys this year. But the thing that just scares me about Ritter is just the inconsistency with his accuracy. And there's just some games where he looks like a second or even third-round pick, and there's some games where he doesn't even look drafted. That's just the fine line of consistency that you're still struggling to see from him. But I always revert back to the Ohio State game from last year. That's probably the best game. Uh, as far as from a competition standpoint that we'll see from him. And I thought he played decent in that game overall, but he's one of those guys that you would love to get on your squad for maybe stashing for a year or two, and then hopefully you can get something out of him. But it wouldn't surprise me if he goes on to have a career like a 
let's say like a Dak Prescott or somebody like that if he ends up not saying that he's going to be a top flight NFL starter or something like that but he goes on and be ends up like a top 15 or top 20 type of starter in the NFL that wouldn't surprise me and it also wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being on somebody's practice squad for the life of his career that's just the type of consistency that or inconsistencies that we have seen from him so I definitely would would feel comfortable taking him probably in the fourth or fifth round if I had to guess right now but I would like to see him just be a little bit more consistent this year and he has done he's, he's progressed really nicely this year they have a great defense there in Cincinnati Luke Fickle has done a really good job developing the personnel there but I just want to see Ritter be a little bit more consistent. And I think that's the battle that he's trying to fight right now. So, Jordan, it's been an an interesting year, uh, as we all know. COVID-19 has basically affected all of our lives in some way or form. Um, We've had some college football's biggest stars like Micah Parsons, Jamar Chase, uh, Panay Sewell opt out of the season and those guys have um, already begun to prepare for the NFL draft. Do you think that their draft stock could take a hit during the draft during the process this off season due to only having that one year of tape? And now granted all, all of these, all three of these players are definitely or are probably the best at their position in my opinion, but I want, I really want to know your thoughts on this. Uh, I don't think it affects them at all, honestly, guys, just because we've seen enough tape on guys like Mark since uh, Jamar Chase, and we've seen plenty of things from them to know what they're capable of. So um, I don't have a problem with them opting out at all. Um, I don't have any issues with them as far as from a prospect standpoint. Everybody's going to have their positives and their negatives and then uh, things that are associated with their draft stock. But, I mean, we've seen enough from them. Now, Gregory Rousseau is definitely probably the most – of the bunch just because he's only put one year of good quality tape out there, but it was really good. Anytime you're six foot six, 265 pounds and get 19 and a half tackles for loss and 15 and a half sacks and only your second year playing defensive end, that's always going to create some type of intrigue. So uh, I think those guys will be fine as far as still being first rounders, just because they showed so much on tape already. It's not going to negatively affect them. Now there were some, there were some players that you had huge questions of why they opted out. They just got bad advice from agents or, people in their circle like an example would be Brady Breeze the the Oregon safety Uh, I have no idea why he opted out and there's plenty of other guys around the country uh, that opted out that probably made the wrong decision but we'll see how it does affect them in the end but guys like Parsons that Chase and then some of these other guys Russo is another great example I think they'll be fine and still end up being bona fide first round pick yeah I'm as someone who is a big Jamar Chase fan I, I I think he I think he's still the top wide receiver in this draft class, even though he's not playing this year. Like he, his tape from 2019 is that good in my opinion. That's like you look, you look at tape from like Jalen Waddles, um, few games that he played this year, like incredible, incredible. Like he definitely has a case for wide receiver one. Other guys like possibly Devontae Smith has a case, Rashad Bateman potentially as well. You know, those are guys that with an extra year of tape are making a good case for wide receiver one. But when you look at Jamar Chase's tape, you look at all at a good amount of his games from 2019. Like that's probably that in my opinion, that takes the cake for all the wide receivers currently in this draft class. Like Chase is phenomenal. 
great route runner, good with releases, so fluid, really nice after the catch, good with the 50-50 balls, um, incredible ball skills, um, underrated speed, you know, like some people are saying long speed might be a concern. Again, against Vanderbilt when he had, I think, like three or four touchdowns that game, like he flew by Vanderbilt uh, defenders on one of those touchdown runs. I'm like, this dude has everything you want in a wide receiver one in in the NFL, in my opinion. So, you know, I think it, yeah, it would, it would have been nice to see another extra year of Parsons chase or swell tape, but, or even uh, Rousseau tape. But, you know, like you said, I'm with you here, Jordan, like, Having those, having that one year tape is not going to really affect their draft stock in any sort of way. Um, they're, they're all three or four of those guys are really great players. So Devin, I know you have a question that you want to ask. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, uh, kind of sitting back here listening. Uh, but Jordan, I know that you have done uh, quite a few interviews. You've done interviews with Quiddy Pay, uh, Quill uh, Glass from uh, Alabama A&M. Um, you know, you recently did JC Horn. Is there a favorite interview you've had this season? And, uh, also, is there a prospect that may not necessarily be a first rounder or even a second rounder, but someone that you really like, uh, and that you think could translate well to the, the NFL? Uh, my favorite interview would probably be Quickie Pay, uh, just because of his story. Uh, you guys will see this highlighted throughout the draft. Uh, he was, he actually was an immigrant when he came over here from Guinea, him and his mom. His mom is from Africa. She escaped like there was a civil war that was going on over there, and Quidi was just born. When that happened, he ended up in Rhode Island. He said it's the most random state that he could have ever ended up in. So I thought that was a pretty pretty interesting story. But um, a player that just had to work for everything that he has had. Um, I'm a big fan of Quidi, as you guys can see. Um, uh, JC was probably another one, even though he's my latest one. But uh, cornerback is one of my favorite positions to evaluate just because what you notice is that they're just very confident individuals. And you just felt that from JC's presence in the room, a player that was just, as you can see on his tape, he's supremely confident. And I think that's half the battle, especially when you're playing that type of position. And if you're not confident at that position, you're probably not going to be very good. And if you think about all the elite corners in the league, they're like what I, they're what I like to call extroverts. So whenever they make a play, they're going to let the whole entire stadium know about it and I think that's kind of like a trait that you have to have at that position that's exactly uh, what JC was talking about when he told a really interesting story about him and Seth Williams in the Auburn game this year as you guys know he had a breakout game of that game that probably is one of the best uh, prospect games of any so far this year and he was just talking about how him he told John Dixon who's the player that plays opposite of him at corner and he said the night before that he was talking to coach and he was only supposed to originally shadow Seth Williams in the red zone but he was like, nah, I want the challenge of I want the challenge of shadowing him the entire game. So that just goes to show you the type of confidence that he has. And I love that about a player, especially at that position, just because I love corners that are supremely confident. I don't know what it is. I don't have a saying about it, but I just love players that are really, really confident at that position just because I think you have to have that. So a JC and definitely Queedy, uh probably my top two after that would probably be Russo. Just hearing him talking about him making the transition from wide receiver and safety to defensive end. That's a that's a, a transition that you very rarely see. And him just telling the stories of how he actually played on the same high school team as Calvin Ridley and Jerry Judy. All those guys were on the same receiving course. So just imagine lining up against all those guys with Russo, Jerry Judy, and Calvin Ridley. 
So I thought that was a pretty interesting story as well, something that I did not know going into the interview with him. Jordan, I, as a Panthers fan, I, I got to ask you about this. Um, you know, Matt Rule was hired as the Panthers head coach. People, there are, there were Panther fans and plenty of other um, analysts that were like, or, or were skeptical of the move, you know, going from coaching a power five team like Baylor that had, had from being like one of the worst teams in college football to playing in the Sugar Bowl against Georgia, you know, his, his ability to build programs has is incredible and what he's doing in Carolina is awesome. Do you do you think that the Panthers are going in the right direction in terms of how they're doing their rebuild? You know, like they're they're playing very competitive football. Um they're just not they've not been able to close out games um throughout the season. And if they were able to close out those games, you know, we could be talking about Panthers team with a winning record. But you know, it's a young team and whatnot. So, tell me what? How do you think this is going to go for the Panthers and Matt Rule? He's got a seven-year deal and whatnot. But do you think this team is on the right track in terms of uh, future outlook? In terms of like you know making the playoffs in a few years and whatnot? Yeah, I think they're right on track, Jared, honestly, and I think they're right where they need to be as far as that first step in their rebuild. And I always put it like this, rebuilding the team is just steps. It's like steps in life. You have to go through some some breaking points and then some bumps and bruises as well. And I think that's what the Panthers are going through right now just because they have so much youth. They took an entire defensive draft. It was the first time ever since 1967, since the modern draft era. And the Panthers' defense hasn't been great, but – what you notice is guys like Yitra Gross Matos is stepping up. A guy like Brian Burns is making plays all over the field. Derek Brown, he's going to come along eventually, but you see the young pieces in place. Jeremy Chin is another great example of how he's getting beat in coverage from time to time, but you want them to get that experience. And it's kind of like, I don't know if you guys have an older brother or not, but whenever you two are playing in the backyard and you're younger than him, he's going to constantly beat you just because you're younger than him. He's taller than you. He's bigger than you. But as you get older, as you as you start to grow, you get bigger, you start to match his size, and then you start beating him. So I think that's what the stage that the Panthers are in right now is just a matter of accepting those bumps and bruises and just taking the steps that you need to right now just because those puppies eventually grow up into dogs eventually. So guys like Jeremy Chin, Derek Brown, and some of these other pieces that they have, they're eventually going to be three, four, five-year veterans. And the great thing about Coach Rule is that this same thing happened at Temple. It happened at Baylor as well of that of how you just have to completely gut everything that is there right now. And then you have to eventually build that back up. And I thought Dave Tepper made a great point of that. He just didn't want a coach that was just there for the now as far as two to three years. He wanted somebody that that had long term stability and him coming from the Pittsburgh Steelers, them only having three coaches in 51 years. That's the type of stability that he wanted with the Carolina Panthers. And I think Matt Rule can provide that. But an interesting angle that a lot of people don't notice with the Panthers is that how they are set up to succeed. And what I mean by that is look across the NFC South. I don't know the long-term stability of the Saints with the whole Taysom Hill situation. I think that's probably something that's just in the now, right now, but they are in cap hell. You guys know that. So they're going to have to do something with that roster eventually. You look at the Atlanta Falcons, they have a bit of an older roster and they don't even have a head coach right now. So we don't know what the future holds for them. And I think Tampa Bay is probably in a two-year Super Bowl window. So now, you have the Panthers in the back. They only have three to four wins right now. But I think they're set up as far as the future 
the best of any team in the NFC South. So just accept the bumps and bruises right now and just accept, accept those stepping stones right now. Two to three years from now, I think the Carolina Panthers are going to be very good. I still think they're probably two draft classes away from being a consistent NFC contender. I still think they probably need an upgrade at the quarterback position. I love Teddy. I'm a big fan of Teddy, but I just think he has reached his peak as far as what he can be. So I would like to see them get that big-time player, uh, elite player at that position, and I still think they need some help along the offensive line as well and probably in the secondary too. I think they need a corner uh, opposite of Dante Jackson as well. So I think Matt Rule is going to do a good job of just getting the players that he wants in there, and that's the thing that you notice about Rule. Like look at a guy like P.J. Walker, a player that was a really good player for him at Temple. He just wants his guys in there. So I think Matt Rule does a really good job of identifying what he wants and then just allowing the team to develop over time. So um, I think it's exciting times, maybe not right now to be a Panthers fan, but maybe two to three years from now, I think they're going to be a really good football team. Yeah, I'm with you there. And, you know, I, I tell Panther fans all the time, like, you got to be patient throughout this process. This is not going to be a two years and this is not going to be like this year they're going to be bad and then the next year they're going to be an incredible football team. No, this is going to take a couple this is going to take a few years, you know. This they're not going to they're going to be competitive. They could surprise a bunch of teams. They could surprise the NFC, you know, by either next year or the year before. But you know, I, I presented this question I think a week ago, or actually I think on on Thursday night football, um, and I um, discussed it a little bit in my um, previous article, my football thoughts article, and. I, I discussed, like, you know, if the Panthers were picking in the top 10, should they go with a quarterback? Should they go with the best quarterback available? Or should they go with the best non-QB available? And or and just ignore quarterback completely in the upcoming draft, build the team, build around the team, build around the quarterback position, and then wait until 2022 when you have a quarterback class that could feature guys like Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell, um, Keen Salavis, uh, JT Daniels, uh, Jane Daniels, you know, those, those are quarterbacks I'm really intrigued by for the 2022 class. So I want to know your thoughts on that. Like, should the Panthers go with a quarterback if they're picking in the top 10 or should they go best non QB available um, if they're picking in the top 10? Well, I think the great thing about the Panthers, honestly, Jared, is that having Teddy doesn't create a pressing need to address quarterback. It's not like they're the Jets. Um, let's just take Sam Darnold out of the equation. It's not like they're, they have Joe Flacco back there with the Jaguars. They have Minshew or Jake Luton back there right now who they need a significant upgrade there. With Teddy, with Teddy, you have a top 15, a top 20 type quarterback. He creates some type of stability there. So I don't think it's a pressing need for them to address it right away. I think it's a situation that they can eventually place over time, but I think the Panthers are in a situation to draft the best player available. And a guy like Michael Parsons, I think that would be an outstanding fit. Um, J.C. Horn, as you mentioned, I think would be a really good fit. So they just have – they're in a great position of where they just consistently or continuously need to take the best player available. Now, whether that's offense or defense, it's just a matter of how they stack their board. That's the great thing about the Panthers right now. Devin, I know you got a question you want to ask as well. Yeah, so this is uh, one of my final questions, but uh, Jordan, you've uh, played college football. You played for uh, North uh, Carolina Central. Uh, you coached as well, and now uh, you're scouting. Uh, 
what do you have to say kind of your journey going full circle? You know, you were obviously recruited to NCCU and then uh, you were coaching and recruiting and now you're, um, you know, doing uh, analyzing players, uh, college football players and getting a chance to talk to them. Uh, what has your kind of journey been like personally? And, and, you know, what does it mean to you to be able to do what you do now and, and enjoy it? Yeah, it's, it's been pretty fun. I could sit here all day and just talk about my journey just because I never thought I would be like in the place that I'm in right now. I always wanted to be uh, that young Joe Brady type of coordinator. That was the next big thing coming up. That was always my dream uh, coming up when I finished playing. But I'll just go all the way back. Um, I started quarterback at Central uh, from 2010 to 2013. Uh, 2013 was my last year playing. I didn't have any pro aspirations like that. I just got tired of taking those hits. I want to be able to walk by the time I was 30. So um, I went into coaching. Uh, I always had interest in coaching just because uh, I always wanted to stay around the game. Just because I, sports has always been a part of my life ever since I've been three years old. So I couldn't imagine a life without sports being involved with me in it in some type of fashion. So I was a graduate assistant for two years at Central. I learned a wealth of knowledge uh, there for two years. And then after that, I was fortunate enough to get a full-time position as a quarterback and also a running backs coach. And then what I learned was I really enjoyed the scouting side a little bit, a little bit more. My last two years there, I actually was a recruiting coordinator. So there I got a chance to actually build boards of high school kids all across the country. I was able to talk to individuals, um, being able to talk to parents in the household and just understand how players love or how much they love the game, getting to meet them on official visits, unofficial visits and things of that nature. So that's really where my love of scouting came from. Um, as far as being a recruiting coordinator. And I didn't even notice how much I love the scouting aspect of it. And what I noticed was that if you compare it to a chess game, I kind of uh, I kind of loved how the chess pieces, how they originally got on the board as opposed to actually executing exactly what they could do, if that does make sense, just using a chess reference. But um, that's really where my love of scouting came from, just being a recruiting coordinator, just understanding how you could put all the puzzle pieces together to get the final product. And we actually won three conference championships when I was there. So, uh, we got a, I got a chance to really uh, play some good, a good brand of football when I was there and just understanding how everything could come together. So uh, we were unfortunately let go. We had a coaching change in 2018. So um, I wanted to figure out how I could combine my journalism background. I always kept a blog. And I, I tell this uh, to every young journalist that's coming up. What I did was the smartest thing that I ever did was I kept a blog of everything that I did. So even when I was playing, I always wanted to be uh, or feel important in some type of fashion. I always wanted to have my opinion out there. So what I did was I kept a blog of everything, no matter what happened. So if there was a big trade that went down, I would just jot down uh, what I thought about it, what were the positives, what, it, what were the negatives, and what was the long-term outlook of it. And what you notice is that it started to stack up. So I had over a hundred of blog posts. And then uh, after that, I got confident enough to where I could publish it online. I wasn't very confident of my writing as far as putting it out there to the public. And what I did was in 2018, I actually started as a writer for the Vikings. Uh, I was a, a, I did it for free. I wrote blogs about um, different games that happened, about different players. Um, I started off as a Vikings blogger. I started publishing everything. And what you notice is that I always tell this to everybody, hard work and good work always gets noticed, no matter where it is, no matter where it's published. There's so many eyes. Social media is so big right now. Your work is going to get noticed if you put good quality work out there. And what, what happened is um, – somebody i forget the guy's name he actually came up to me and said hey um your name is jordan reed right and i said yeah never seen this guy in my life just came up to me in a random place he said hey uh i'm a i'm a uh i'm a manager at a, a website called vikings um 
Vikings territory. That was the name of it. So that really was my first paid opportunity. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to branch out and I wanted to be able to interact with all 32 fan bases. I didn't want to just be locked into that one team. And that's really where I started to branch off and do all my work for different scouting. So I put up a post about um, it. I forgot who it was, who the prospect was, but I wrote a post about a prospect and I did background research on him and I put up some positive and negative plays about him as well. It was me recording my the phone. It was me recording my computer screen and just putting up what I thought about it. That was some of the things that I did uh, back then. So um, I started a Twitter account in 2015, uh, I believe it was. And I just started putting up some different clips about players and just how the positives and negatives of them, what I thought about them. And then what you notice is that there's always some type of fans paying attention to it, whether it's positive and negative, and they're going to give their feedback about it. And I got lucky uh, with the opportunity with the draft network. Um, JC Cornell actually noticed my work, and then I got on with the draft network. And just a little bit of advice, I know you guys are going to ask that question eventually, is that just put out good quality work in everything that you do. Um, and then just understand that it's a process, as being a draft analyst. I didn't roll out of the bed interviewing Gregory Russo, Quetty Pay, and JC Horn, and some of these other guys. It takes time. It took me three years to get in the position that I am. So, um, and then it's very competitive, as you guys know. This seems like there's another draft podcast or a draft analyst that pops up out of nowhere. So, there's this market is so competitive. But what I would tell you guys is that you have to find out what your niche is, whether it's film, whether it's graphics, whatever it is, whatever your niche is, just attack it full head on and just figure out what type of assets that you provide. Uh, to the industry. And that's what I did. I knew that film was my forte, especially being a coach as a player. I could provide a different angle just because I've seen the game from so many different perspectives. I've seen the game now as a scout. So I'm seeing the game from three different various lenses. I'm seeing it as a scout. I'm seeing it as a coach and as a player. So that's the type of versatility that I bring. And that's what I always tell young scouts. Never, never stop learning the game either. That's something that I always say. Always read a book. Um, always look at I always look at clips of on the Internet of Daniel Jeremiah, Mike Mayock, whenever they're just talking about prospects, just because just to tell you guys a funny story. Last year at the Senior Bowl, that was my first time ever being on camera as an analyst. So I just recollected all these memories of Mike Mayock, Daniel Jeremiah, and I'm just prepared of everything that I do. Always be prepared um, even before this show. I knew you guys were going to ask me about some guys. So. Um, I keep um, in my notes on my phone, I keep everything that I do as far as certain notes about prospects, just to remind myself of everything that I do. Just understand to be prepared in everything that you do. And then just go back and grade yourself. Um, listen to your old podcast. Listen to some other guest appearances that you may be your be your biggest critic as well. That's something that I'm that I'm always critical about as well, just because that's the only way you're going to get better and grow in this industry. So just be your own critic. Um, just figure out what you're needing. And then just work hard. And that's the biggest thing that I say. Hard work always gets noticed no matter what it is, uh, whatever your niche is, just attack it full force, attack it full force and just be patient. You're not going to uh, you're not going to roll out of the bed and be Daniel Jeremiah interviewing all these guys. It takes time. That's the biggest things that I would say to you guys. I appreciate all the advice and um for what you do, Jordan. And, you know, one of the things, one of my favorite things I've learned as a young draft analyst since I started in 2018 was scout the player, not the helmet. There are too many, there's too many people out there that get so caught up on the history of a player at a certain position. Like example, like a good example is Ohio state quarterbacks, you know, like uh, Troy Smith, 
JT Barrett, uh, Dwayne Haskins, uh, Cardo Jones. Like they haven't panned out like we expected, but when you see Justin Fields, he is a totally different player than all these other guys were like on a, they were, he's on another level than any of them would ever want to be. So like, that's one of the key advices I've, um, I've gotten from you and, uh, other draft analysts, uh, throughout the last few years doing this. And I, I really hope I can do this as a lifetime thing as, a job, you know, hopefully after college, you know, I'm, I'm still a sophomore in college. Um, I still got time ahead of me to figure out what I want to do. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited for um, my future, um, hopefully in this industry, industry, maybe even as a sports journalist for um, a draft website of some sort, you know, who knows? So I, I'm very excited for my future. Um, and Devin, do you have anything to say? about this yeah. yeah i wanted to say as well you know personally jordan you know you definitely have uh you know inspired some of my work and uh you know following you and watching some of the things you do uh it definitely uh as a young analyst makes you want to uh you know imitate it and, and try to find some similar success so i would say you know especially you know in, in the industry and i don't want it to get you know too you know touchy or anything like that but uh, you know, an industry that, you know, there's not really a, a ton of, you know, African-American or black, you know, analysts, um, you know, especially, you know, on, you know, Twitter or just in general. So being you representing, you know, you know, our culture and things you do, I, I want to say that I appreciate it and I appreciate the work you do. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned that it's it's not touchy, man. It's 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 a, it's a subject that's going on in the world right now. You guys know and the thing about just being a African-American analyst, Devin, just to tell you uh, straight up is that we have to work twice as hard just to go half as far. That's just the narrative that is out there right now. So just saying to you personally, you definitely have to figure out whatever your niche is and just attack it every single day. Just because the first thing that they want to know is how well do you talk? How thorough is your grammar? Uh, in your articles and those things like that. And you know how it goes. So just keep at it, both of you guys. And uh, just be patient. That's the biggest thing. Both of you guys are young. I'm 29 years old, so I'm not a super old guy, but um, I've had success in the industry. I still have plenty of things that I want to do. Um, I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity to be the color commentary guy of the Tropical Bowl this year, which is a huge opportunity for me, which is a lower tier, a type of all-star game. Um, it's just being on camera. Um, being the next Lewis Riddick is something I've always had a dream of as far as just being a a color commentary, just calling games. That's always been a dream of mine. So um, I have plenty of goals, and I'm sure you guys have plenty of goals as well. Something else I would say, just write down your goals, man, and just check them off as you go. That was one of my goals coming into the year. So it just gives yourself a different type of feeling, a fuzzy feeling, and type of reassurance of when you're just checking off those goals as a draft analyst as well. So uh, whatever your goals are, write them down. And they don't have to be short-term goals. They can be goals five years from now, which is something that I always make sure to do as well. So just check those goals off as you go, just because it gives yourself a different type of reassurance about yourself and it gives you a different type of confidence as well. Jordan, I, I really appreciate you coming on, um, joining us um, as our special guest here today. Thank you so much for coming on and, um, you know, learned a lot from you already today. You know, um, you're such a knowledgeable person. Um, someone that um, I respect very dearly in this draft industry, and um, I, I hope one day, and I, I know one day I can be um, 
at your level and hopefully maybe even higher, you know, and we all strive for big goals in our lives, you know, and that that's the one thing I'll, I'll be doing from here on out is writing down my goals and working towards those goals, you know, like even if it's just life purposes, it doesn't have to be um, for like the NFL draft or being a draft analyst or being a good football analyst or anything like that. It can be just for life goals. So, Jordan, I really appreciate, again, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope you guys learned a bit um, on this podcast. We'll see you guys later. Peace.